I want you to open up there so you can get the Word of God before your very eyes this morning and prepare to listen and follow along here in a moment. Now, uh, remember Jesus in this parable, the soils, uh, just before this that we were looking at last week, he's been talking about how important it is for us to listen and to listen well. And these two short passages that we're going to look at today are going to continue that theme, right, of, of listen and, and listen well. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's God's Word. It's intentionally that way on purpose. Um, and, and we're going to see a bit of what it means, what it actually looks like to listen well. So uh, the way we're going to do this, we're going to read the first passage first and then later in the service so that it's fresh in your mind. We'll read the, the second passage we're going to be looking at. But uh, let's begin in Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will be made manifest, not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we have seeing eyes. Will you illuminate our our hearts to understand the truth of your word, this revelation of yourself and of your will and your world. It's revelation whether we understand it or not, Lord, but... We certainly desire to understand it. So, Lord, give us ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you probably heard that first part of the verse many times in your life, but quite frankly, um, in fact, the first three verses, quite frankly, are very difficult to understand upon just an initial reading of this. Uh, That's the reason we began today, and it's the reason we begin every week, really, with uh, just a prayer for the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts so that we might understand God's Word, uh, both intellectually, but also uh, in in a spiritual manner, that we really understand it. Uh, So let's just jump right in here to verse 16, where we read, uh, right? No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now, simply point Jesus, uh, the simple point that Jesus is making here is that if you have something useful like a lamp, use it. Use it. Um, you know, what, what would be the reason in a house that someone would light a lamp? Well, it would be to provide light in that house. Uh, to light up the room. And I, I assume then that, you know, none of us has, has ever in our house gone and turned on all the lights and then gone around and taken black trash, trash bags and just wrapped it around every light with the light still on, right? Why would you do that? It would make no sense. And that's kind of what he's getting at. Um, it, it would be like me, me taking the time, right? Or you taking the time to build this uh, or make this elaborate meal for your family and prepare it and put all this effort into it. And then before anyone took a single bite, just go to the trash can and just dump it all in there. Nobody would do that. You shouldn't. And, and so again, he, Jesus, is saying that if you have something useful, use it and use it properly. I'm sure you all have your, your own pet peeves about the way people use things improperly. In, in I know uh, Laura, being a journalism major, always gets annoyed when, when people use the possessive apostrophe in the wrong way. 
uh, you know, the make everything possessive or things that should be possessive not. Um, someone was telling me a story recently about a, a German man who was gifted this iPad for, uh, for his birthday or Father's Day or something like that. And, and instead of using it like he should have, he ended up using it as a, a cutting board. Uh, kind of looks like it, right? Um, don't do that, right? Because <laughs> uh, that's not how it's supposed to be used. And so no one should do that. And so you see this lamp then is this analogy uh, that, that the Lord's using. And when Jesus is speaking of the lamp, what he means is, is the word of God, including the teaching that Jesus has been giving here. But, but also how that teaching, once it's received into our hearts, how that teaching then transforms us so that we do indeed shine, right? Or, or as the way Jesus himself puts it in Matthew five sixteen, in the same way... Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. But again, the the major point here in our first verse is that the the truth of the gospel, the the entirety of God's word when we say that, is intended to be put to use, not just tucked away. And so then, that's a heart question for us to consider this morning. What am I doing with the Word of God? How is the Word of God actually put to use in my life? You've probably figured out by now, because I quote him all the time, but uh, I love the writings of J.C. Ryle. Um, I think I saw last week would have been his 203rd birthday if he had lived longer. Um, That's pushing it a bit. Anyway, uh, listen to what he wrote about this passage. He says, "The, The gospel which we possess was not given to us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant merely to reside in our intellect and memories and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. See, the lamp is the message of the gospel. And I I guess I, I kind of wonder after reading this, you know, if someone's known me for a while, you might think of this in terms of yourself, but knowing me for a while, and they were trying to understand, you know, who I was Would they have to dig around for a while before they really find the light of the gospel? You know, somewhere hidden under my bed or under a jar of clay that that hides the light? Or is it just clearly seen in my life? That's what he's getting at here. Are my words about others on, on par with how people generally do it in the culture? Or are they distinctly influenced by the scriptures to be, to be kinder, to be more gracious, to, to be truthful? Yes, but, but, but to do the truth or tell the truth in love. Now, many of you learned this basic concept as a child. If you grew up in a, a church, almost any church many years ago, uh, you might remember how it goes. This little light of mine. See, most of you know this very well. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. You ever wonder what a bushel is? It's not your hand like you might have thought as a kid. Uh, It's a 64-ounce container. So like a cowboy hat in Texas. uh, is a bushel. It's just something big to cover something. That's what it is. But but you know it so well, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a simple children's song, and we know it is that, but, but it's also this defiant anthem to be living our lives according to the transformative message of the gospel, of the scriptures. That, that's what the message is, right? Because God's truth is meant to shine to us and in us and, and from us. When we're, when we're listening to 
preaching or, or teaching or, or reading a Christian book that's expounding Scripture to us or, or just reading the pure, unfiltered, glorious Word of God, when we're doing that and, and we learn something new or maybe we learn something we learned a long time ago and it seems new because you'd forgotten it, you know, our, our next move at that moment is to consider how can I then put this into practice in my life? Not just be like, oh, that's cool. I, I give you a couple examples. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Let's not do that, right? Just skip on and see something else. No, live in harmony with one another. You, you begin to flesh out how that looks when you're living with an incredibly messy roommate that's driving you crazy. Or, or maybe your grumpy spouse or, or your children or, or you've been deployed and you're, and you're in a... Barracks? Do you live in barracks? I don't even know where you live exactly. Wherever you're living when you're deployed and you've got a, you know, a soldiers with you that might be difficult to live with. Or maybe you're just thinking about how you're living in harmony with the neighbor whose dog never stops barking ever. Right? How do I really put this into practice? But we, we, we seek to live in harmony with, with, with your, your, sister, you know, your sister in Christ who just irks you for some reason. You don't know why. But here you come to God's word and he's calling you to live in harmony, right, with that sister in Christ. Or maybe your actual sister who irks you for a whole list of reasons you could probably list, right, specifically. To live in harmony, to put that in the practice. Another example, right, because they're not all just go do something like that. Say, say you're reading about the providence of God and you're learning about it. And, and we, don't, we don't take this biblical truth and just think, huh, that's an interesting idea. I wonder what the weather is tomorrow. You know, that, that would be the equivalent to hiding it under a jar. And instead, we, we, we look at our life and, and, and maybe we go to the Lord and we pray, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing in my life right now. I do not know why you have allowed this or that to happen. I don't know why you're, you're sending us to move to this location or that location or my future looks like this. or Whatever it might be, you know, you don't know what he's doing, but, but you're praying. And, but Lord, I, I've learned in your word that you are absolute, you're in absolute control. And I also know that you love you really love me because your word teaches that. And you are good and powerful. And so all these things mean that what's happening in my life, it can't be meaningless. It's not meaningless. And that's where you take what you're learning there and you're able to just trust the Lord. Lord, I trust you. I don't like it maybe, but I trust you. The other aspect of the lamp shining is, is how we share the gospel with others. It's become an almost lost thing within Christianity today. But really, one of the more selfish ways we as Christians live is, is to have received redemption through the gospel, through Christ, and, and then not care at all about anybody else around us, whether they receive the hope of salvation either. You know, as, as if sharing the gospel might be this incredibly offensive thing that's you know, might make them not like us or whatever it might be. But, but you know, it, it's just at the heart, this selfish thing. May, may the word of God be, be useful in our lives and, and may it shine for others to see both in word and deed. And so then, as we look at verse 17, we, we learn that some people are going to be saying that, that they're walking in faith, but eventually the truth is going to come out. And, and that's a scary idea. The, you know, Jesus here is, is speaking about uh, the final judgment. Listen to what he says in verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made, not be known and come to light. That is an absolute tangle of double negatives, and it's a little confusing. If you, if you just uh, remove those and make it positive, Jesus is saying, uh, whatever is hidden will be revealed. Whatever is secret will be made known. 
So if you hide your broccoli at the bottom of your milk glass and think you're pretty sneaky, it's gonna be hidden for a while, but at some point when the dishes are washed, that secret's gonna be revealed. Kids, remember that. Um, what's this have to do with our life and faith, right? Well, well, it's a warning that Jesus is giving here. That's the connection to verse 18 here. When, when, when Jesus adds that, he says, Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. First of all, how do you know when, when someone's listening to you? I guess, uh, how, how do you know when they're not listening to you is a more obvious one. I, uh, yesterday we were up at, at, at Chick-fil-A and we're going in. Laura's going to the bathroom to wash her hands. And she uh, apparently told me to uh, get her a number one with unsweetened tea. And uh, she comes out before I get up there and I turn and I ask her, what, uh, what do you want? And she's like, number one with unsweetened tea. I told you that. I absolutely no memory of her saying this to me. <clears throat> Full confession. Um, and it becomes out real quick right there. You weren't actually listening to me. Every time she sends me to the grocery store, it's the same deal. What was that list of stuff I'm supposed to get? Just milk? Okay. Uh, you know, that, that's the way it is. If you have children, you experience this on a daily occurrence, right? That <clears throat> despite looking like they're listening to you, they're not. Not at all. Hey, put your shoes away. Okay. Ten minutes later, why didn't you put your shoes away? You didn't tell me to put my shoes away. Right? It becomes so clear when they're not actually doing this as to you're not listening to me. And so here we have right at the beginning of this, here's God warning us again, listen carefully. It's interesting that even these passages, right, last week and this week, listen carefully. No, seriously, listen carefully, listen carefully. It's almost like a parent talking to a child, right? Well, it is a parent talking to a child. To tell you again this. That, you know, what follows in verse 18 is again kind of mysteriously worded here. Uh, at the heart, what he's saying here is that to the man or the woman who will not make proper use of the scriptures, you're going to lose even what you think you have. Now think of this in terms of, of muscle on your body, okay? My, my mom's 70 years old, and I call her once a week, and uh, she, she told me one day recently that, that she's going to the gym every single day now because her doctor told her that if she doesn't use her muscle, she's going to lose her muscle. And that's terrifying to her, right? Because then she went on to tell me, you know, you know, did you know that old people don't fall and break their hips because their hips are bad? They fall and break their hips because their muscles have disappeared. So this is her solution for never breaking her hip. Um, Anyway, at every age, the basic idea is true that the more we exercise our muscles, the more muscle we get, the stronger we become. And if we don't do that, then we begin to lose our muscle. You can't just sit there and stay ripped. You've probably figured that out already, right? Um, to better understand the spiritual meaning of this, though, Jesus in verse 18 is, is then referring to these two types of people. And he uses this term, right? Has and has nots. And if you look there, you'll see it. Um, the, the has... Are, are those who listen to his word, God's word, and, and thus they're understanding the, the kingdom of God. They're understanding it. They're putting it to use. Uh, people who were making good use of his word thus <clears throat> would continue to grow strong in their faith. Right? There's a change happening. And, and Jesus also mentions this other group, the has-nots. Uh, 
Uh, they, they are those who do indeed have the word, but they don't use it. They don't apply it. They don't build their life on it. And eventually, this is going to come to light, and, and they're going to find that they truly have nothing. Even what they thought they had is not there. It's like the muscle in our bodies, right? Use it or you lose it. Now, now I've seen too many people who, who have come to some sort of profession of faith, Right? And then they begin to trust their own judgments or they follow their own desires more than those of God's revealed will in his word. And the more they begin to reject the scriptures or just ignore the scriptures, that's all it really takes, the more their life begins to grow distant from the Lord. Further and further. And what they call their faith grows weaker and weaker like the unused muscle on a man sitting on the couch day by day. Now, this warning can be a great encouragement to us because those who by the power of the Holy Spirit put the word of God into action, they will grow in Christ. More and more, our faith can become stronger and stronger. Now, Christian, be encouraged because that can be you, even if you've not been, Right? Just like when, when, when learning a foreign language or a new instrument, if, if we're practicing it, even practicing it riddled with mistakes along the way, our, our grasp of the language, our grasp of that new instrument is going to grow stronger and stronger. And so let us begin every time we come to some sort of engagement with the Word of God with, with prayer. Prayer for how we're going to receive it, how we're going to hear it, how, you know, for wisdom, for the way we might apply this for conviction where we need to have it, but also pray after you've been engaged with the Word of God. I'd say that's more my weakness there, is to remember to pray, Lord, that I believe this, to, to learn what you have to teach me here, to, to live what God has taught here, not just know what God has taught here. See, we're not done learning from God's Word until it has changed our actual lives. That's what he's getting at. And so then, while Jesus is teaching, there's this weird interaction that happens next. If you've looked ahead, you've already seen it, right? This weird interaction with Jesus and his family. And I want you to follow along. This is the second passage we're going to read, starting in verse 19. Where he says here, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. How's that for a Mother's Day passage? <laughs> so first of all here, Jesus had siblings. That might be the thing that is surprising if you haven't thought about it much. Uh, at least half siblings. He had uh, brothers and sisters who were born the natural way to Joseph and Mary. Uh, John, or rather, Mark 6.3 tells us the names of Jesus' brothers. We don't know his sister's names, but his brothers were named James, uh, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Not that Judas, but Judas. Uh, and so his, his mother and his brothers show up and they want to speak to him. Uh, you know, you can imagine they're likely telling people outside, oh, he's my son, he's my brother, let me through, trying to get through this crowd, something of that nature. And, and at first we, we hear this response of Jesus, and it sounds like a slam on his earthly family, right? Like, ooh. But look closer, it's not a slam at all. 
He's not saying those aren't my family. He's using this moment to teach those listening, including you and I right now, what it means to belong to the family of God. You see the implications here. There's two lessons here. The smaller the lessons that we hear is that spiritual relationships are of greater importance than biological relationships, which is even our day, maybe especially in our day and age, an incredibly countercultural idea. Now, to be fair, this idea is going to sound, you know, perfectly fine to, to some of us. Those who, who came to faith, um, who come from a broken or dysfunctional family, it's going to sound perfectly normal to you. When I first came to faith, I, it was after my own family had, had fallen apart with divorce and other things. Uh, and so to come to church and come to faith and, and to receive with the gospel this covenant family was such a glorious comfort for me. Uh, especially since my family members were not walking with the Lord. Now, the, the priority of our, our spiritual family is a, a little tougher to understand, though, if, if you've grown up in a godly family that's close-knit and, and just this wonderful biological family. In, in that case, and, and in some sense, the two are one and the same. And, and yet, in, in either case, there is this priority, this precedence uh, in the family of God over earthly families. Now, let me explain that. It's not always going to make itself known in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, remember, first of all, God does call us to love our families well, to provide for their needs, to honor our mothers and father always. Um, But there are instances where obedience to the Lord puts us at odds with the desire of our family. I wouldn't have said that years ago, but I've seen it way too often where... um, Someone understands the Lord calling them to, to, to some place. Maybe it's seminary. Maybe it's uh, overseas missions. And the issue arises that, that a parent wants their child to remain nearby, right? Especially if there's grandbabies. Uh, and, and that's the desires. And, and so it becomes this, this issue, right? Do, do we go where the Lord's leading us? Or, or do we stay where our parents desire us? And, and even with a wonderful family, God must be the highest priority. Always respectful, always interacting that way, but keeping God the priority. Now, there is so much more to be said about this, this aspect of spiritual family, the covenant community and such. But uh, it's not explicit in this passage. So we're going to move on from this point for today. Uh, because I want you to see what, what, what Jesus' major point is here in, in verse 21. Because he, he's answering this question that's sort of... Uh, not specifically, but the question that's unspoken here is, how, how do we know that, that indeed we are truly in the family of God? And, and Jesus here says, we know when we listen to God's word and when we do God's word. When we obey. That makes me really uncomfortable. If I'm honest, right? It's like, whoa. Whoa. Where's the grace in that? But, but look at verse 21, first of all. Let's just see what the word says. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, my, my own father, my biological father, Henry Hoff, 20 years ago or so, um, began training these Labrador retrievers. Um, he has five or six dogs. He treats them better than he ever treated us. He, they get bottled water. Uh, anyway, the dogs are awesome. Uh, and he, he trains them and he takes them to these hunt tests where, where they compete against other trainers and other dogs to go fetch these things that are hidden and I don't know, way out there, all this crazy stuff. And his dogs always perform amazingly. 
Uh, what I find intriguing about these hunt tests is related to Jesus' statement here is, uh, is about how th- those who are in the family of God hear the word of God and they do it. And, and the reason it stands out to me is that at, at these tests, that all these people show up uh, and, and trainers with their dogs and they're out practicing in a field before they go. And so there'll be dogs just all over the place, um, just a field full of dogs. And, and my dad will call out in, in, into the crowd, you know, sit or hear or some command of some sort and, and, and lots of dogs in that field hear his voice but not every dog actually sits not every dog actually comes to him can you guess which dogs actually obey his voice his dogs it's bizarre to see it's a beautiful illustration right that's you know his dogs the ones that belong to him hear his voice and actually do what he says So Jesus here is telling us obedience to God's word is a clear mark that we are truly adopted into the family of God. Now, don't hear the condemnation here. I want you to hear the encouragement for us here, okay? Have you learned in the scriptures that you are to forgive someone who sinned against you? Then do it. This is the new way of living we've got to come around to. Has the word of God taught you to confess and to repent of your sin? Then do it. Has the Holy Spirit, while reading the scriptures, brought to your mind someone who you've sinned against and God's word has taught you that you need to seek their forgiveness? Then go and do it. Is there something that you're doing that the word of God has impressed upon your conscience that you need to quit doing because it's just not right? Then let us begin to make that change. If your faith is in Jesus, then you have been made a son or a daughter of God completely by the grace of God. And with that adoption, we now have all the rights and all the responsibilities that come with being in God's family. Now, I I know even hearing it this far, this might sound like works to you. But I want you to consider this, that the person in... The person who, in God's word, hears the call of the Lord to repent and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Who, who but the child of God can obey that? No one. That's why obedience is not a means, but rather a true mark of being in the family of God. It's all grace, it truly is. You know that none of us have made our way into the family of God by working. We have passively been brought into the family of God by his grace and by his mercy. And only then do we actively respond to this glorious reality by hearing the word of God and seeking to obey the word of God. Not perfectly, but like a child. I think it was Lance Crandall not long ago in one of these preaching labs we hold... Uh, and it talked about a, a father watching his child learn to walk. I love this. Say, say a, a father calls his very young daughter, right, to, to walk to him. And that daughter pulls up on the couch and begins to take a few obedient steps towards her father. Before falling once again on her butt. See, a, a good father doesn't, doesn't look on this in disappointment and tell her, your, your walking's pathetic. Your effort disgusts me. You can't, you can't even walk as good as your big brother. I'm so ashamed of you. No father's doing that. No good father's doing that. 
A good father sees her attempts at walking and is pleased in that, encourages her. And our Heavenly Father is a good, good father. He expects obedience from us as his children, but he doesn't expect perfection. He knows our limitations. He wants to see us grow and learn to walk right. He knows it's a slow process. He knows we're going to stumble. And so we obey because we have this great father. You know, no matter how imperfect our obedience is, that's what disciples do. We, we seek that. And to do so requires faith, right? Even at the most basic level to believe this is the word of God and for me. See, those who believe continue to hear God's word in faith and then we apply it in faith and we seek to live it out in our life by faith, faith, trusting that every little step of the way that God is going to work through our stumbling efforts. Finally, one more thing I wanted to mention here. There's hope for absolutely everyone here. I want you to know that Jesus is a living Savior who died, truly died, and truly was risen again to life again. And he is sufficient to save you and to make you a true child in his family, no matter how nasty your past or how shameful your present might be. Jesus can redeem every person who comes to him in faith, and you too may find salvation in his name. Let us pray. Lord God, we'd be foolish not to make great use of this great gift we we call the scriptures we we call the bible or your word lord make us wise to not only intellectually know your word but to know how to actually live according to your word lord we confess it's so hard sometimes to be doers of your word but we desire that we desire that may the holy spirit empower us to to make us able one little step at a time to to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.